My name is Owen Flynn and welcome to episode 28 of the Trail Running Ireland podcast. Hey everyone, on this week's show we head down south to Kerry where we chat with two of the kingdom's finest trail running warriors, Joe O'Leary and Kevin Leahy, about their recent completion of one of the newest and toughest trail running challenges in Ireland, the Ivoret Challenge. Everybody, get your running gear on, let's go. I'm just Good to be with you again, everyone, and I'd like to start the show today by expressing our deepest sympathy and condolences to the families of the 21 runners who must be all heartbroken by the tragedy in China last weekend during the Yellow River Stone Forest 100k race, where 21 runners died of extreme exposure. A really terrible tragedy, everyone, where it looks like that no adherence was given to the oncoming severe weather conditions and that the mandatory kit requirements were very light with no jacket required and unfortunately the highest of prices was paid with 21 trail runners passing away. And just in case you miss our episode on safety in the mountains with our friend from the Waterfall Trail Running Festival in Kerry, Simon Kelly, do check it out on your podcast feed, episode 26, just two or three episodes back, and you never know, even one of the tips that we spoke about that day with Simon in that episode, episode 26, might just make a difference one day. On to happier news, and it's great to see all the training groups back out running together, and a shout out to our episode 21 guest, Stephen Morin of Mind, Body and Mountains, who is doing a great job sharing the positivity and the joy of trail running. They have their first event of the season this coming Sunday, so check out the Mind, Body and Mountains social media pages for more information on that. And before we call in our head coach, Rennie Borg of Running Coach Ireland, for some advice this week on training while doing shift work and how to adapt training to strange working timetables a thank you as always to our patreons and those that help keep us going every month Barry Minnock, the Irish international mountain runner and Dublin Marathon podium finisher on numerous occasions, joined us on Patreon this month. So a big shout out and thank you, Barry. And if you would like to help support the show and keep us going all year round, please do pop over to Patreon and search for Trail Running Ireland and your help will be very much appreciated indeed. Okay, so let's get on with the show. And before we call in the two warriors from the kingdom, let's call in our coaching expert. Rene, Rene Borg from Running Coach Ireland. Great to have you with us as always. How are you keeping, mate? Yeah, I'm not too bad, Owen. So I was uh, just uh, looking out the window here. So I, by the time people are listening to this podcast, I think they are hopefully going to have a slightly better weather because it's um, <laughs> we're having one of the most brutal Mays, I think, in history. And these last two days are particularly bad. <laughs> so it's absolutely lashing on the Wicklow Hills here today. And how was, Rene, your club um, handicap race there? Was it about a week and a half ago, two weeks ago, just as we were recording our last episode? Rumour has it there was a couple of athletes sprinting down Wicklow Town and having a great time out racing. You know, not quite Wicklow Town, Owen, as you know, we are more central. We are in, uh, we are in Lara. Um, but yeah, we had, um, we've started our, our league and we, we wanted to start with a handicap race because we were still under some of the restrictions. We thought if we do a handicap race, people are not starting together. You know, they just arrive when it's their time and they go off. Uh, so we had this hybrid course laid out for people, which was half road and half hill. And that was to give the road runners and, you know, the, the hill runners kind of an equal chance. So it was a very interesting, very unique challenge. Um, and it was funny because I was getting end of by a guy in the club who's certainly in better shape than me at the moment uh, with a mile to go out of the 13 and a half that we had that we've been through already. Um, and I thought, yeah, yeah, that, that's it. They're just going to breeze past. But he stayed with me and that ended up then I actually won a sprint finish, which is a miracle, Owen, for anyone who knows me. It's probably the only time I can remember winning a sprint finish. So uh, that was a little highlight for me, you know, in the middle of all this. 
it must be all those strides, Remy, that you're doing after your runs, as we've spoken about a couple of times in the podcast over the year. Adnan, say, you know, your three or four strides after your easy runs, after your long runs, keeping all those fast twitch muscle fibers active. So um, you're able to use that well there at the end of the race. So. Yeah, but it was certainly, you know, it, it's, it, it was great to feel the energy. There was a huge energy with the, the people who, who did come out to run that race, like, because it's, it's not, obviously nothing big, right? You know, we were not obviously a huge crowd. We were, there was no Olympics or even T-shirts or anything like that on the line. But just having this event, you could feel like the electricity in the air, both before and after. So, you know, it's, it just shows, you know, how much we're all kind of want to get back into it. Yeah, and of course, in case anybody missed it during the week, Rene, we saw the announcement that was on the Athletics Ireland website from Sport Ireland about a, an outline for return to outdoor sports and that they've given a green light permission to start racing outdoor sports with 100 people or so. So that's certainly welcome news, Rennie, and positive news. And we saw on Monday morning this week that EcoTrail opened their registrations for September as well, for September 25th this year. So it looks like we're on the way back and um, hopefully we'll have big news towards the end of June, of course, for the Dublin Marathon. Lots of our trail races around the country and mountain races are, are due to hopefully open up registrations as well. And we'll see IMRA update their calendar soon as well. So I think the worst is behind us and we'll hopefully have lots of races over the coming months to look forward to. Yeah, the, the 100 is enough to cover us anyway, because we have our uh, next event, which is an uphill only race on Saturday. So that'll be nice, you know, so we're just going to race all we can to the summit of Scar over about 6k and then we'll have a nice social jog back down. Fantastic. And I'm going to get the green cert, travel cert, Rene, just so I can fly home to do that, which is I love a good run up Scar. But Rene, our topic for this week was we actually had two different listeners send in a request to talk about shift work and how shift work can affect our training and how we need to adapt our training um, to shift work. It's a fascinating discussion, Many There's lots of people all around the country, lots of listeners, lots of runners who are involved with shift work and might have to adapt their training. And hopefully everybody's getting on okay with it. But we just thought that we'd have maybe a bit of a discussion about it today. And any tips and advice, Randy, you might have from working with your own group of athletes and clients over the last couple of years and what you have found has worked well and maybe what hasn't worked as well. Yeah, so it's, it's as I said, we have quite a lot of people working shifts. So they're clearly, it's a fairly common thing, you know, so there's a lot of listeners, I imagine, who deal with it. And there's two main problems with shift work, you know, and the first is it's harder to gain a settled routine. Uh, because not every week looks the same. Um, and the second problem is you lose sleep quality and or quantity usually uh, overall. And that's especially true when you're dealing with people who have to do night shifts, you know, because as we, I think we had our sleep podcast, it was last year. And we know that night shifts, they, they are difficult biologically and there's no perfect solution if, if you're always on night shifts. Um, but if it's just intermittent, you know, you can, you can largely work around it. But the, the routine problem, you know, it, the, the solution is actually very simple. It is that instead of having a fixed mindset and saying, you know, look, this is what training must look like seven days of the week. This is my routine, long run Sunday, uh, you know, um, intervals Tuesday or whatever it is, you use the pattern of your work routine instead so, for instance, a lot of shift workers will have, they kind of have these on and off weeks. So, you know, they can have two weeks on day shifts where their routine would be fairly normal, you know, kind of nine to five type of stuff. And then they will have a week where it's night shifts. And during that, and then they have a big sleep after that, usually, where they're kind of trying to reset themselves. And as all you need to fix that problem, if you have a coach, you just communicate it, you know, so they send me on their full schedules in as much detail as they can. And that's especially useful for me if they're very erratic. So I have a few people where it's always different. You know, every month they send me a new plan and there's absolutely no pattern there to, to discern. And then others, it's, it's kind of a set routine. So I know it's always two weeks this, one week that, or three weeks that, this, and two weeks that. And then we basically just go with the flow. You know, you, you play the hand, you're dealt is kind of the, the guiding principle. So you do your hard work in the weeks where you have a normal type of recovery and sleep pattern. 
and you do your step back or recovery week during, you know, let's say the night or the evening shift weeks, or if it's not even about time of day, you know, because there are other types of shift patterns. So for instance, some people have these um, very intensive shifts in their profession, you know, so they have these 16 hour days. So some, some people will work three or four 16 hour days or 12 hour days, whatever it is. And then they have three or four days off. So again, it's the same principle, you know, you do um, as little as we can get away with during the heavy days, we take it a little bit easy just after that period. Let's say if you've just come off four times 12 hours, the day after that, you don't go out and do your high intensity interval training, right? Because the body is definitely a little bit on the, the sensitive side after that. So that, that would be probably just an easy kind of bridge run, but then you should be quite well rested. And then you can do something harder. So we just go with the flow of those routines. You know, that's that's the, the guiding principle. Yeah, and from some of the reading that I was doing myself, really on it, that a lot of people have actually been quite successful with it because sometimes, as you said, you'll have maybe two or three days when you don't have to work. So you could get a really good quality long run, especially say if you're marathon training or ultra training, get one big long quality run in the day before you go back to work. So when you're back on your shift work, say on, the, on a Monday or Tuesday or whatever two days it might be, you're nearly recovering the first day and then you're just getting an easy 40 minute run in when you can on the second day as your body just absorbs the benefit of that big long run at the end of your time off. Yeah, so that's actually one of the examples I think was that that when I first looked into it myself, it's a while ago, you know, they, they used this, they said that um, if you have, for instance, what one thing, actually there's two examples I'll give people. So the first is when you have come off a period of time when your circadian rhythm has been disrupted, you know, because your sleep has been disrupted, you can use the runs to your advantage. So if you use the first day after in the morning to do a light aerobic exercise, that helps reset your body so that it, you know, is normally active in the morning again. And similarly, if you put uh, after your first day shift, let's say, if you put a, a harder session right after that, it will, it can help you get a better night's sleep. And that means getting back into that routine of, you know, falling asleep at night, which could be difficult after you come off uh, the opposite routine. So you, you can look at the runs this way and say, well, how do my different runs affect my sleep when I do them at a certain time of day? Now, of course, that can work the other way as well, because especially people who've done IMRA races, uh, the Wednesday night ones, where remember, if you overdo your high intensity, like you do during a race, quite often, whenever I was doing these Emirates Wednesday race, I couldn't sleep until one or two uh, at night. Yeah. Adrenaline from the race was so high. So that means if you have just had a series of night shifts and you do an evening race, you're probably going to be in for a pretty rough few days after that. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, so, but as you said there, if you've had four days night and then you've had a day of sleeping it off, you should be really fresh for the next day. And that would then be the perfect opportunity because you're probably off anyway to do a really big run, you know? And so did, you're, you're using the opportunities offered by your shift work. So I think instead of just looking at, well, what's bad about it, look about what, where does it give me more ability to train than people whose routine is just nine to five um, Monday to, to Friday. Yeah. And we don't need to religiously follow that seven day training structure either anywhere. We have to do one big long run a week. Ideally it's great, but I think it's been proven over time that athletes of all levels from professional level, elite level, right down to the amateur runner as well, that we can adjust our weekly schedule to a nine day period, a 14 day period, where if we're stuck working hard on shifts, shift work, we can just do maybe one long run every nine days or every 12 days, but we make it a quality one. And just not to get frustrated if you can't get your one big long run or, or your one big hard rep session in over a seven day period, it's okay to push it out to nine days, to 12 days or whatever. Yeah, that's gaining more and more popularity, this idea of, you know, saying, well, the calendar week doesn't have to be my, the same as the training week. Now, it's obvious why we use the calendar week. It's because it's, it sets a certain routine for our other activities, you know, so we might be off on Sundays, Saturdays. So that's why we can do more training. But obviously, if you're shift work, it could be totally different. And then it's easier to, to shift to these, um, as you say, 9, 12, 14, whatever amount of day weeks. And one of the reasons that those approaches have become popular 
is that when you look at a seven-day block and you're thinking, well, I need to cram in certain elements into the seven-day block, uh, you often end up overstuffing it. And then there's not enough. And as you say, you, you have to do a long run somewhere. So, you know, and you, then you might end up cramming it in where it's not ideal. Whereas if you, had, if you looked at your schedule for, let's say, the next few months and you said, well, every nine or 10 days, I'm going to cram everything in. There's a few advantages there because you can allow for more rest days in between the runs. The only thing is you do need to plan a bit more, right? So you need to sit down or have someone sit down for you and look at it in advance so that you, for instance, if your long run ends up falling on a Tuesday, your other logistics are planned around that. So that's the downside of using these kind of, uh, what we say, micro cycles, as they call them, that are not fitting the calendar week, that you do need to plan a little bit more in advance so that you don't suddenly wake up on Tuesday and you're like, oh my God, uh, there's no, there's not two hours here anywhere where I could put this run in. Yeah, it's important just not to put too much pressure on yourself either as well. I mean, say if you are stuck working shift work for the next couple of months, things are going to be a little bit tricky. Well, maybe instead of doing the carry way ultra, just do the carry away ultra light instead. So you don't have to just go over the edge and go to the well and really kind of force a training plan um, into your body where it's working so hard in your in your day and night job as well. So you know, be kind to yourself as well. And maybe there's one last thing from my side, Renny, would be to, to don't be shy with your colleagues and your managers in terms of telling them that you're maybe you have an important race in a couple of months' time, whether whatever it might be on, on the calendar. Um, let people know that you're training hard and and you might be surprised, you, you might be able to squeeze out an extra 15 minutes on your lunch break or an extra half an hour just to get that run in at lunchtime. So you're not doing it first thing in the morning or at strange hours at night. And you'd be amazed how supportive maybe your, your colleagues are to, to help you with your running goals. Yeah. And you also, uh, you know, you, you can go about getting similar physical adaptations in many different ways, you know, and that means uh, if you are very set on a type of exercise, let's say the, the two hour run, but it's very difficult during, let's say three or four weeks for you to do that because there's just no way where you can, you can carve it out for whatever reason. You have to remember that there are other ways to gain endurance than doing the extra long ones. And one of them is just to get more consistency in the volume, you know, or doing another nice, you know, there's little hacks, you know, for instance, you can do your a fairly steady, extensive steady run or a high intensity session. And then you do um, an aerobic run the next day where you, you know, you also try and keep a reasonable aerobic effort. And that together will, because the body's already tired, could trigger some of the same adaptations, you know, so you, you have to be clever, you know, it, 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 but it all got, just keeps coming back to the same basic idea, which is work with what you've got, you know, don't try and resist it. And this is this thing Paddy Barrett was saying, and which we also, you know, you always seem to return to it on these calls is that our problems are suffering come from the difference between reality and expectations of, of what we want. And when you say, well, I need to train this way, but your reality looks totally different, you're going to have constant friction. So you kind of need to, to, to change your expectations. You know, one example is what you mentioned there. If you have a huge goal coming up, but there is simply no way for you to get the volume that is really required. It is wiser to reset that goal and wait maybe for a time when your life situation is different, you know, for the other goal, you know, because why are you always, why do you always want to swim upstream is the question you should ask yourself in those situations. Yeah. Um, you know, which is kind of a, we have to accept the limitations of our life and work with them. And if we can't accept them, but well, then you need to actively change them. Right. And that's much, much harder because that could be like saying, look, I know that my athletic performance, what I really want to do in athletics is impacted by my night shifts then you have to give up the night shifts but that's easy for me to say because maybe it's the only job you can get right and you know, so it's, it's it's really you need to you might have to make hard choices depending on what's important to you in life sometimes you know and maybe it's always a big jump to leave a job you know I did it as I know what it's like you know I didn't leave it overnight it took me a long time to work up the courage to say no more paycheck you know I'm gonna run my own company now um and so I understand it. It's not easy. But if you're really unhappy with the structure you have of your life because of, say, work, maybe you need to do something brave to change it or something radical, you know, if you can afford to take the risk. So that would maybe be a good final word in terms of what you can do to change your, your shift schedule. 
you mentioned Paddy Barrett there just in the conversation, Rennie. And for anybody that didn't hear the episode with Paddy Barrett, a fantastic cardiologist, a couple of episodes ago, it was a great conversation that we had with him. And in that episode, Paddy mentioned HRV, heart rate variability. And we were talking during the week ourselves and you'd come across some great research that you wanted to mention on the show today. And we just wanted to say as well, how sometimes as a coach, well, not sometimes, all the time as a coach, Rennie, really, that it's so important that you continue to read, that you continue to study. And I know it's something that you enjoy very much. And you came across a fascinating article there last week about how we can use heart rate variability to estimate accurate aerobic threshold. Of course, with our clients are running Coach Ireland, we do a number of tests to establish your aerobic threshold. It's a key part of our training system. So maybe we could have a quick chat today just about your findings and also just really about how, how much you enjoy reading the latest data and studies that are coming out about trying to offer the very, very best advice to, to runners. Yeah, so we have an old sport, obviously, and that means a lot of the principles that bring you success are old and they're time honored and they have stood to test the time and then they're not necessarily going to move a lot. And that can leave people to believe, well, there's nothing new to learn about it, but that in any sport, the rule is if you stand still, you go backwards, you know, and you can see that across all the sports you could imagine, you know, so obviously you need to kind of understand the principles that are likely not going to change, but you also need to keep, keep learning and keep seeing what, what new is coming out, but that brings problems with it because like, even if you're just a runner and not a coach, you know, and I don't mean just in a derogatory sense, but if you're looking at things yourself, you know, you're reading things, you know, in, in Irish runner or runners world magazine, and you're wondering, is this interesting to me? You know, is this something I should use? So just sort of explain this process that we, that we use when we are trying to update our information, it could be helpful to people because they can apply it themselves. So, for in, this was an example of an article that caught my eye, um, which was about, as you say, trying to find aerobic threshold in a different way, because it's a very difficult threshold to identify uh, via tests accurately. You know, we have some ways of doing it. We are fairly happy with them, but you always want something better. And I saw that heart rate variability could be a way if you had uh, the right technique. So what I do is I, I will read everything about the particular protocol and the equipment that they're suggesting. Um, and in this case, the logic, I can just explain it to people so, so abstract, is that because heart rate variability shows how stressed your body is, if you can get the right measurement as you're running, it will show when there is a significant change in the stress response of the body. And the theory behind this particular idea is that when there's, there's a certain thing you can look at that will show right now as you move from, let's say, heart rate 145 to 150, there is a big change in the stress response that the heart rate, heart rate variability is showing. And if that can be done accurately, you know, with a protocol that people can easily execute on their own with a heart rate monitor and someone to interpret the data for them or even themselves, then you could get a really accurate measure of where is it actually, you know, without needing anything else. So for me, I look at two things. First is, is, is it going to be easy enough to implement that it is practical? both for me and for our athletes. And secondly, is it going to be much more accurate than what we already have? So I don't have the answer yet on here I'm, because I just bought, I had to upgrade the heart rate monitor I had to, to get the, the absolute most accurate one, which is the Polar H10. Um, and I'm, I'm going to go do some field tests. So this is part of the work and with everything we read. So we read something, but then you have to go and test it. And if I'm happy that it's kind of workable and the data is good, then we will roll it out usually to some clients first and we'll see how it works. And then we integrate it. If we are really then happy with it over a period of time, it becomes part of the training system. And by training system, I don't mean, you know, the, the Rene Borg training system, because to, to me, all these things are, you know, humanity's knowledge is, um, what would you say? It's community knowledge, right? It's, it's culture. So no one really owns it in my view. And that means we are, when I talk about a system, it's just a process. So everyone, any business, any type of work that you're trying to do, you have a process. And the reason you have a process is because you want repeatable results. So before you add something new into a process that's working pretty well, you have to be sure that it's adding rather than detracting. 
if that makes sense. And, yeah. and you should do the same because you might as an individual athlete have a certain process. You mightn't even be aware of it, but you're doing things in a certain way. Uh, and uh, if you were to actually write it down, you might notice, well, actually, there's kind of a system here that I'm using for myself. So, you know, don't, don't throw new and shiny objects at it without really experiencing it you know same with a new session that's always a good example you know you see a new session in a running magazine you think oh could this be good the best thing you can do is just go try it you know go try it and see well how does it feel what's the effect on the body what do i think it will do you know is it better than what i already do um and then if if all those boxes are ticked then you can say yeah i'm i think i'm going to make this part of my routine and in terms of heart rate variability, Rene, um, given what you've just said there about taking good things on board and then other things slip aside, what is your opinion on heart rate variability in terms of a measure that runners can use? Because it seems to be a very fashionable term over the last year or so. You have a lot of um, heart rate products and well-being products that are using it, I think, to sell devices. They're saying that they measure it very well. It's a term that I even see, say, celebrity sports people endorse. I, I hear Lance Armstrong talking about heart rate variability as he's, as he's trying to sell um, the aura rings. I mean, people are very familiar and they have been for a long time with resting heart rate. It's something that I religiously use myself every morning. For example, over the last week, um, mine has been a lot higher. I had a, a small just procedure there last week, just on the nose in the local hospital here. So my resting heart rate has gone from 40 up to about 48 at the moment. So I know my body is under a bit of pressure this week. So training is pretty much not happening at the moment. And I'm sure everybody is very familiar with resting heart rate. But this new term, heart rate variability, what's your opinion on that? Should it, is it something that we should be reading up upon and adding it into our, our, our data points that we all use to measure our training? Or are we okay with resting heart rate? Well, if you're going to take the effort to measure, right, then heart rate variability is probably more accurate than resting heart rate. Um, but I think that your general mood and muscle soreness, and this, this is borne out by some research, is actually at the moment just as good a predictor you know, of how you feel. Um, because heart rate variability, the problem with it is that you do need to measure it really, really accurately. And you need to measure it at the same time, um, in the same type of state, all the different technologies out there have different protocols and different tools. Um, some have finger sensors, some have heart rates, uh, what do you say, chest straps. Some of them tell you to measure standing up, some lying down. Um, and if you look at the analysis of the data that these monitors come with, it is not clear yet that it is accurate enough uh, so there are many tools who've jumped on this bandwagon, including Garmin, you know, where you can see um, you can see your training status in some of the modern Garmin watches. But if you actually look at the kind of independent research that has been done on it, it's not clear that it's accurate. And that means you could get a false sense of security because you wake up in the morning, you look at the Garmin or you, your um, if lead or heart rate for you. There's many different brands and they tell you you're in great training shape, but you're not. You know, and, and you might actually, without knowing that, if you felt, oh, how are my muscles today? How's my mood? Am I a little bit tired and grumpy? You might already know the answer, um, you know, you, you, that you feel agitated and stressed. So I don't think at the moment it's quite accurate enough that it's worth most people's time. But I'm quite interested in it in the other context that we just described during exercise and done with the most accurate heart rate monitor possible and as far as i know that is that polar h10 and it has to do with the fact that that particular chest strap doesn't drop as many signal points as all the others right so you, they, they obviously you could do tests on equipment and if you lose let's say a, a few re recording intervals and um, that can skew all the data so you need a device that is very accurate. So my feeling is for most people, the technology isn't quite there yet. But if you are a tech nerd and if you like um, self-quantification, as they call it, you know, yeah. jump in there and get to learn the technology by all means, but take it with a grain of salt. You know, don't forget that the most sophisticated piece of equipment that you were given is the body you're wearing. 
<laughs> you know, it's still it's a little bit harder to read because it doesn't come with a screen and a gra sure, graphical. Sure. Well, it's, it's yeah. there's no need to um, take that five percent discount code from Lance Armstrong just yet. And um, I'm, I'm going to try and get him off my podcast feed, Rene. Um, around this time every year, as the big grand cycling tours come back, the Giro d'Italia, the Tour de France, um, Lance seems to pop up everywhere. So I think I'll ignore him this year and I'll just stick to my uh, watch that I have here. Uh, yeah, not 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 yeah. the most trusted source of information. Information. No, no, you know? no, not at all. And um, well, listen, Rennie, thanks a million for that one, there. Good luck to all of our shift workers who are listening in. Hopefully, they all get a good week's training. And um, a big thank you for all that sharing of knowledge, as always, Rennie. Thanks a million. No worries, Owen. Good to talk to you. My name's Sarah McCormack. My name is Brian Fury. My name is Nicola Duncan. My name is Zach Hanna. My name is Mark Ryan. I'm a mountain runner. 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 Hi, my name is Harriet and I'm a mountain runner. You're listening to Trail Running Ireland. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. For our feature interview this week, I'm really excited about heading down south to Kerry, which is a real hotspot of trail running with, as we'll hear, it has a great calendar of races, a really strong, vibrant trail running community, and of course is home to the mountain running world champion, John Lenehan, who we had on the show a few months back. And it's also the home of two lads called Joe O'Leary and Kevin Leahy, who have just completed the Ivora Challenge. Fresh from one of the greatest challenges of their lives, Kevin and Joe, you're very welcome to the Trail Winning Ireland podcast. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, Owen. Pleasure to be here. No, great to have you guys. And um, at least the two of you are still talking to each other after spending 22 hours in each other's company over what looks like one of the toughest routes in Ireland. Yeah, this we're still talking. Jeez, we hardly talk, spoke at all during the damn thing itself. Because, uh, you know, you would just look at the the scenery and stuff and try and figure out where you're, where to go. And I suppose guys, maybe the first question is like the fact that the two years ran together. Did you think about that beforehand? Was there ever any thoughts of either yourself, Joe or Kevin running it on your own? Did you feel it might be safer to run in a group of two because this was the first time that this traverse was being done? Uh, I was originally going to run it on my own a couple of years ago when I heard about it first, but, uh, oh God, I did a, I did a recce of it and I said, Jesus, it, it was, it looked horrendous. I mean, it took me eight hours to do, I think it was 22 K of it or something. And I, that put me off a bit then, you know, but, uh, as soon as Kevin asked about it, I said, yeah, this could be a good idea to hook up with someone. It's a good excuse. Like, uh, pull each other along. And say in the future, guys, would you recommend people doing it in a team of two or more? Or do you think it can be done on your own? But I suspect you would need some support crew and you need your safety team around you as well. But is this something that could be done in the future, maybe on, on your own? Yeah, certainly, I would say. Yeah, 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 you could. Yeah, it's probably it depends on the person who's doing it like, uh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. You'd want to be pretty well matched. Uh, otherwise, the, you could get aggro or something. Me and myself yes. and Kevin are very well matched. So, uh, you know, I, yeah. I, I'm trying to figure out now how I'll ditch him in a race. You had me in the last 15% of this one, Joe. You'll, <laughs> that'll, oh, that'll be the that? I was more like 25, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> And guys, tell us a little bit about your own background in trail and mountain running, running as a whole. Kevin, I saw you had a, um, maybe I was going to say a very famous win, but maybe people that don't actually realize that you were the winner of the Montana Yukon Arctic Ultra in Canada. And as I read just on your, your website there, where you're promoting the, the documentary that you're, that you're making, that they didn't know who you were when you went over. But they certainly know who you are now after that incredible win. T tell us about that win, maybe to start off. That sounds sensational, doesn't it? <laughs> um, yeah, that was good when I did that one. Um, I saw the story goes with that one. I, I was backpacking in Canada by myself three years ago, and I kind of 
kind of had heard about this race, but it almost accidentally stumbled upon it when it was uh, in in the town it starts in uh, in Whitehorse, and um, just saw a couple of guys running and prepared for it, and thought like I I always heard about these races and thought like oh, you'd need to be super fit and super extreme and super well prepared and all the equipment and everything thought it'd be like a couple of leagues above me, but. I saw a couple of the guys and said, like, I, I could have a crack at that. So I ended up going for a couple of runs in the minus 25, minus 30 degree nights uh, without being well prepared. And I said, I, I'm, I'm OK at this kind of thing. So I asked, I actually asked, could I do the marathon that year? But uh, he, he, I wasn't I wasn't left, which was fair enough. It was a bit late. It was a bit late to be kind of getting the entry into it. So I came back the following year and uh, did the 100 miler. Wow. Uh, yeah, so that was kind of how, how I how I stumbled upon it and stuff. Uh, and that was the one that you won, Kevin. Was, was it the hundred miler? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that was my first time racing in the in the extreme cold kind of thing. Uh, the hundred miler, the you know the, the the temperatures could over there can get as low as minus fifty degrees. I think when when I was doing my particular run, minus thirty, minus thirty five, it got to in some of the some of the locations at night. Um, Took me so the hundred miler took. I, I finished in thirty one hours. I was the first foot uh, r- runner across the line. It was a, a bike passed me out with about twenty kilometers to go. So that with that particular thing, you can cross country ski it, fat bike it, or run it. Um, so I was the first runner across the line. Uh, it was okay. epic, epic race, really well, well run race as well. So and I, to win a race like that, Joe, you don't just rock up on the day and produce a result like that so have you actually been training for extreme races for a while and um, is it a passion of yours is it a hobby of yours um yeah 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 i suppose i suppose i kind of nearly about, about five years now since i did my uh got back i've been traveling and stuff like that um got back to ireland and kind of set my sights on the carry way and uh, just built up to the Kerry Way, and since then, yeah, I did the Kerry Way a couple of years, and then kind of got more into the adventure racing side of things, doing a couple of multi-day adventure races. And uh, last year and this year has been back with more of a focus on the ultras again. Okay. Uh, yeah, I love them. It's kind of just a big way of it's a way of life for me now, kind of thing. Um, big big part of my life, I suppose, for a long time. My holidays were kind of traveling within countries and seeing new places and stuff like that. No, my holidays are are going to be are, are going to these races and these beautiful extreme places and um yeah doing <laughs> getting out there and having a good time in the and the adventure kind of thing. Yeah, and for anybody who's interested, Kevin, I think you have a website as well where you have some videos and you're documenting some of the races that you're doing with the hope of actually making a film out of it yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, the the website is a thousand kilometers of chaos. So it is. Uh, it was just a kind of a funny turn of events through through COVID last year. It was my plan to do a thousand kilometers last year, um, to do like a hundred kilometer race, which happened, which was the ancient. Well, initially it was the Wicklow Way, but that was cancelled due to COVID, uh, which was a hundred k, and then it was the Kerry Way, two hundred k, and then I, my plan was to go to um, back to Canada to do a four hundred and thirty mile race up in the Yukon, um, but that didn't end up going ahead so that was kind of the first thousand kilometers of chaos which uh, unfortunately didn't go ahead uh, but through, through all that so i planned that was an adventure i planned and then i was just having a coffee and uh, adrian was who's a local filmmaker was just talking about it and he kind of he got he got interested in it and uh, he asked me a question like was it exceptional i said i suppose i suppose the one in the yukon is an exceptional thing that's something people most even ultra runners don't uh, don't do the cold races so yeah, we talked a bit more and we started doing some stuff and uh, yeah, it's turned out it's turning out to be a good bit of fun kind of thing. Um, yeah. And it's turning out to be a very good product. So I'm, I'm enjoying it. It's, in, it's good to see putting Kerry on display and kind of, I suppose, helping people to understand what goes into the races du- during the race and before the race and after the race kind of thing. Yeah. And what was the prize, Kevin, for winning that big 100 miler in Yukon in Canada? Was it something that you have to bring home in the suitcase? No. Um, or did you have to leave the prize there? <laughs> no, there was absolutely no prize. It's just you just finished the race. Just the glory. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is fine, too. That's kind of ultra running, isn't it? You know, I got yeah. to the finish line. There was like one person, two people there at the finish line. 
uh, that's kind of ultra running. It's a lonely, it can be a lonely old sport. Uh, and if you're doing it for the company, then you're uh, then you, you should change sports, I suppose. Yeah. But uh, no, no price. Um, just I suppose just good, just the good memories and the satisfaction of having 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 completed it. You know, I didn't, I hadn't, I kind of went there to survive and and ch- check how how I would go and and to win it was 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 amazing. You know, one of the yeah. one of the best moments was was probably I don't know 50 miles in halfway through the race and I was cruising along pulling the sled and you're just kind of crossing crossing a lake and it's frozen and there's like snow snow trees mountains and then bang the, the northern lights came out just like the whole sky was in green lasers it was just a, the, the, a really amazing moment from the race you know it's like that's why I do it these moments are why why I, I love it so much brilliant and joe yourself are you a Kerry man joe as well um is that your local training ground the ivera traverse yeah well kind of yeah i'm uh, i live at the end of it which is killarney so uh born and raised in killarney i'm looking out at mangerton mountain at the moment or what i can see of it so basically i'm at the bottom of mangerton mountain and park mountain so i do most of my training in uh, the Reeks and Park and uh, around the National Park in Killarney. Okay, brilliant. And guys, isn't there such a brilliant growing trail running community in Kerry at the moment? And I just saw on social media there during the week about the new Grand Slam of trail running races that are down in Kerry. And what an exceptional, exceptional list of races that are there we've got the new Ivera Traverse that we'll talk about now shortly the Kerry Way Ultra the Ancient Warriors Trail 100 kilometers to the Ben Kerrens and over the Reeks the Waterfall Trail Running Festival from our friend Simon the Immer Reeks Skyline and then the Glen Ginty Trail Races as well um, an incredible selection of races yeah fantastic amount of races uh, they're, every one of them is well worth doing they're, I've done I think I've done most of them. I haven't done the uh, Reek Skyline yet. I've marshaled for it and stuff. I've done the route, obviously, but I haven't raced it. Uh, I've done the Classic All Right and the Glenaginty ones. They're stunning. All of them are great races. It's fabulous to have that down here in our doorstep. And in terms of numbers, guys, that are out running, I mean, how many people, say, are out on the trails at the moment that are participating in these races? It's a growing um, community that you have. Definitely. Uh, uh, Imra have been fantastic, really, and uh, especially the Munster branch with Robbie Williams and the gang there. And uh, our own Connor Murphy, who's a local guy here from Kenmare, he's uh, he's fantastic in getting people out. He's really supportive of uh, newcomers and everything. So it's growing. It, it's constantly growing. Uh, the Cork and Kerry Trail Runners um, Facebook page has, all, I don't know, it's over a thousand now. So it's a fantastic, great amount of people. Yeah. And I know like over the last year, a lot of us have been frustrated with, with COVID and the lack of races and so on. But in one way, I wonder, guys, if, if things had been as normal, would people have been doing the likes of these challenges as much and thinking outside the box and because there's no races on and where did the seed from the Ivera Traverse come from guys? What, when was it first mentioned? Ooh, I think it was 2018. If I'm, if I'm correct, I think uh, Peter Walker came up with it first. Um, basically this guy called Paddy Dillon, he's all to blame. Uh, in, two, in 1992, he hitchhiked around Ireland um, and buses and hitchhiking and all that. And he visited 212 mountains that were over 2,000 2, feet. And basically, he wrote a book about it, uh, The Mountains of Ireland or something like that. So he, at the end of it, some part of it, he proposed... Oh, wouldn't it be great to join all these walks together on the Ivra Peninsula? And uh, it should be great crack all together. And uh, it's going to be the highest, hardest route in all of Ireland. And uh, sure, Peter picked up on it then and told Connor Murphy. And they published it on both on Facebook and Outsider magazine, as far as I know. And uh, Sir Stupid Joe, anyway, I was looking at, it, at that one day and I post on Facebook said, oh, that sounds interesting. So, yeah, it kind of came from there then. So I went doing, uh, bought a few maps and uh, 
basically mapped the course and mm. um, showed Connor and Peter and that was it correct and uh, did some recce's and said, yeah, might have bitten off a bit more than I could chew here. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, definitely. That's how it all happened, really. While, just went while all there. this was going on, sorry to butt in, while all this was on, I was totally oblivious to anything called to do, <laughs> Paddy yeah. Dillon. He's actually written some books on the runs where you are there and the canaries and that as well. Okay, yeah. And guys, Hodges actually ran every section of the course at one point beforehand, before you'd done the full 85 kilometers together. Had every step been covered? Or was one of us had covered every step, yeah. Yeah, one of us had, yeah. I I had most of it done except uh, that bit there after, what's it called? Oh, God, Nocknell and whatever it is. Yeah, Mullagat. And after that, to uh, the, for the, the second road crossing, I hadn't done that, but uh, Kevin had it done. So that was okay. Okay. And guys, again, just to emphasize to the listeners, what you ran and what you achieved. I mean, the, the height of Everest, I think, is what, 8,500 meters in total. And you guys ran, was it just over 7,500? 7,500, 7, so, yeah. Yeah, so just short of Everest, true Kerry, um, in less than 24 hours. And I was watching some of the videos, guys, earlier, and I'd encourage anybody to, to just Google search it. We'll put up a couple of links as well in the show notes to see the terrain that just ran on. And I mean, this isn't like a nicely laid out trail race or trail event where there's trails and paths to follow. Mm. You were literally walking and running and trekking over open, barren, barren mountains. Yeah. Very, very tough going. I saw no header up in uh, Everest when Killian Journey was doing it here. No bog holes either. <laughs> yeah. I'd like to see him try it. What was the toughest part of it, guys, for you? Was it, was it the elevation gain? Was it the terrain? Was it the distance? Was it nutrition? Um, maybe I might ask his boat individually what his found was the hardest point for you. Kevin, I'll throw it out to you first. Yeah. The hardest point for you. Um... I think probably Joe may or Joe may, may say the same. We probably we just and we had we had a stop at Miles Gap, and after that, then uh, obviously we were navigating night navigating stuff like that. Bit of bit of kind of combination of compass and compass and compass and uh, GPS. Uh, we did a, picked off a couple of mountains pretty good, and then we crossed that the windy gap like that's on the the old Kimmer Road, and then we did the next mountain, and then. There to Mangerton, it was like from 2 a.m. to 5 a.m. And I suppose that was one we'd both done, but I don't think we respected it enough or appreciated that it was we I'd done it in clouds one day by myself and kind of managed to navigate okay, but it felt particularly long anyway and flat. And we were we were kind of going as the crow flies, whereas if we'd if we'd done it by day, we'd have been kind of me and we'd have been avoiding a lot of the obstacles we ended up kind of having to go straight over because whilst we were both competent navigators, we're not very we're not excellent navigators so we were just kind of a to b is the quickest route kind of thing or the, just the crow flies so i think we found that a bit of a drag kind of thing but uh you know in the end i suppose is we we got to, I, we got to mangerton before 5 a.m so it wasn't actually too bad uh, and then from mangerton we got right cold so i think with the wind chill it was minus three minus four on mangerton so we stopped there for a quick uh quick five minutes just to restock our bags and stuff like that. It got bitter cold. So we took off again as fast as we could to, uh, to Manger to North. And from there we knew we were, we'd made pretty good time and we knew we were, um, we knew we were going to finish. So it was just kind of a bit of a long slog home, but you're going to have that. Um, I think my, my patellers kind of thing was the thing that caught me a bit towards the end in the last 10, 15%. Certainly going downhill, I was a bit slower than Joe. Uh, That slowed me up. So, yeah, but you know, I suppose we were, Overall, we were both quite well prepared gear-wise and stuff like that. Anytime it got cold, we had a layer to put on. It got colder, we put another layer on. So um, there was no real time I was worried or really like down or negative or anything like that. I think we were both quite strong on the day. Um, and uh, yeah, that was... Uh, did, did it go as well for you, Joe? Or was Kevin just um, flying along? Were you strong yourself? Oh, yeah, but that section he was talking about there is 
God loves that was that was horrible. It oh. was just unrelentless and yeah, like you said, if it was daylight, it'd be fine. But I, it's still horrible. It, it's it's kind of well, it's not featureless. It's just pointless. I'd say it, it's just <laughs> fucking horrible. And, ten, and ten kilometers uh, you, you know we're probably better off in the dark. Actually, we couldn't see it, but then, oh god, yeah, it was it was it was torture and. It, it didn't seem like we were getting any closer. I was following this patent GPS. And I said, Jesus, where's the next mountain? Oh, it is only here. Why am I down there? Nah, I had the wrong zoom on it. Like it was about a kilometer away. I thought it was 200 meters. Yeah, that kind of crap. Yeah, you know, three in the morning. I was getting annoyed with navigating anyway at that stage. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that was definitely the worst. And I got bitterly, bitterly cold in uh, on top of uh, Mangleton. We had to stop for a minute and... But uh, once we got running and then and the north side and the sun came up, geez, it was, it was all worth it really when you saw the, the sunrise. That was cool. So, yeah. yeah, that was the worst part of it, definitely. And I'd say, guys, the, the camaraderie and the bond between the two years um, over the 22 hours and um, highs and lows. And I mean, was it a question of just that the two years were so focused on getting through the task that you were concentrating on your maps and your gear or your nutrition? Or did you find that is where, you know, having these uh, deep life conversations and getting to know each other extremely well, talking about life problems, work problems, or, or how did that go? How did the two years work together? No, we're actually listening to Simon Mangan talking about uh, deballing his bulls. Okay. <laughs> he, did, he, he, he came running with us himself and his brother and uh, Harry Clifton went uh, joined us that night. And uh, so... Mostly we were chatting with them and telling them that, oh, you should do an ultra, carry away, it'd be great. And uh, I think they believed us, actually. So uh, that definitely, yeah, that kind of kept us going. She's not talking to each other all the time. But uh, yeah. we've raced before, like uh, myself and Kevin, um, we did the Beast Adventure Race, when was that, two years ago? Yeah. Uh, around now, actually, in a couple of weeks' time. And uh, so that was 58 hours on the trot. Uh, look at each other so I mean if we didn't fall out there we won't fall out anywhere and I know guys in, in events like this and challenges like this and um, the support crew is always very important for for numerous reasons for you know clothing nutrition safety of course and um, who was your support um, crew on the day guys and I'm sure you want to give them a shout out yeah Kev uh, yeah, uh, we had Massey and uh, Massey Leary, good friend of ours, Massey Leary and uh, Liam Hickey were the, were the main support crew. Unfortunately, Liam, um, Liam broke his ankle a couple of days before, but he was, uh, he was out there on the crutches. Uh, so the boys did a great job. And uh, it, was, it wasn't just them, you know, we had Elaine and uh, Elaine Doonan and Ketch came out to see us. Uh, there was a good few people there. They're at Miles Gap. They, they, there was there was 15 20 people so it was uh, i think everyone was having a real good time there as well it was good i suppose just as as covid was is is kind of winding down people were with free freer and uh, a lot of people came out to see us so overall there was a, a big crew and you had the camera crew adrian and the crew were uh, oh, they always join in the crack as well so yeah. big thanks to everyone um big thanks to everyone who helped us out yeah, we had uh, Connor McElroy as well. He gave me a couple of rubs, and yeah, I kept him away from Kevin in case he wanted a rub. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Jack Murphy went running with us as well. Um, what's his name? Mark Nolan was there with um, with Connor Murphy. And uh, is that all the ran with us? It was apart from apart from Stephen and yeah. Simon and uh, Harry. Yeah, I think that's all the ran with us really. But yeah. it was great. Oh, it was great to see. Oh, of course, Simon came out. Um, Simon from Waterville Trail oh, yes. Festival. Sorry, he Simon. came out. Cheers, we were delighted to see him because it was getting dark there, and uh, it was that. That was a pretty dangerous section, actually. Yeah, it was. Good it got cold. Yeah. Jesus, it got very cold there. Uh, it's uh, just coming down onto the Sneem Road. Got very cold there all, all of a sudden, and uh, I hadn't recognised anything because we could actually see where I was going that day. Because when I did the recce, it was horrible, and, you know, slanting, you know, horizontal rain and everything. Um, so it was strange to see the place and that Jesus, we we didn't feel the time going at all then with Simon chatting about um, all his races and yeah, it was pretty great. great to see him. And when you sit guys, finish it out, the the 85 kilometers, the 44 peaks in the end, there must have been a great sense of achievement and a great sense of satisfaction when you did get to those final couple of meters. What was that like, guys? And um, Kevin, what was it like for you? 
Uh, great, yeah, yeah. It was nice to. Uh, it was good to get it done. It was a. It was a relief, you know, um, that the body held up and stuff like that. Um, yeah, we just kind of chill, chilled out at the finish line, had a beer, had a bit of a laugh about it all. Again, there was some some stories going out, going around. I think my my tracker, my the support crew had my tracker at one stage, and they ran off down the mountain with that. So at five a.m., there was a lot of people waking up thinking that I was um that I was after going home to bed when really I was still out with Joe. So we had a bit of a laugh about that. But uh, yeah, overall, very, very satisfied, very, very happy with the performance um, of, of myself and Joe and, and everyone. Yeah. And yourself, Joe? Delighted? Oh, it is a relief. Uh, I was a bit afraid that I might get injured or something during it. You know, to be ashamed to have a long term injury or even a short term injury of something that's not even a race. But I was actually uh, I was probably better than when I started. Uh, <laughs> Fantastic. You know, a few days later definitely uh, all my usual aches and pains had gone I said this is great well they're back again now but yeah, apart from <laughs> that um, I, I, you know immediately after a few days after I was actually better for him yeah I think it's probably the soft ground you know and, and there's no hard surface Just, there was only um, a bit of road at the start and at the end that we wouldn't even call that road but um yeah it was all soft stuff so probably way easier on the knees and legs and the whole general body yeah it's amazing isn't it how that we can often feel a lot better after going for longer and distance wise and time wise over the mountains than say doing a road marathon where you could be broken for days and weeks after something like that but after broke, a big broke, ultra, a trail run on the mountains and we can recover quite quickly yeah, sure that road running is torture. I don't know how anyone does it. <laughs> and guys, I was going to ask as well, um, I remember speaking to Gavin Byrne after he won the Kerryway Ultra. He ended up on Joe Duffy the next day. Um, has Joe Duffy come calling to talk to you about the Ibera Traverse yet? No, I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, we said we'd, we, we said we'd hold off for you first. I got the exclusive, so I just have here in front of me, guys, as well, some draft rules and clarifications on the on the challenge as well. Just to go quickly through them, just for anybody that's listening that is thinking about doing it, just to get your views and opinions on it, just in case we're missing anything or anything needs to be added. It can be run in either direction, so you can go both ways. Um, GPS is allowed because because of how tricky and dangerous it is that you know you really do need your GPS there. Support is allowed where the route um, meets Tired Road at Baddock Bima, Black Valley, Mauds Gap, and what other point Windy Gap or Mangerton? Yeah, all yep. good so far. That's correct. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no assistance allowed when running between designated support points. Other runners may join in, but they may not pace or navigate. Tracker or some record is needed to verify. Runners must give advance notice on the trail runner page. Is that the Cork and Kerry trail runner page, guys? Correct. Yes. Okay. And it must be completed within 24 hours for it to stand. And all 40 plus summits must be crossed for the run to be counted. And I know, guys, I saw a couple of times 47 was mentioned, then 44. But is it finally 44 in total? It's 44 that are actually summited and the rest are kind of, you can do them if you want, but <laughs> uh, you're just kind of going uh, close to them. So, but it's actually 44 is the number that's summited. Yeah. According to Paddy Dillon's uh, meandering in 1992. Okay. Okay. Um, well, guys, with that done now and, you know, a great achievement in the bag, what's up next for you? Um, Kevin, will you be flying back to Canada when um, the world opens back up to, to go for the double in Yukon or maybe staying locally and uh, looking to challenge in the KUI Ultra first? Yeah, yeah. That's the plan is, is, to, um, is to finish the KUI Ultra this year um that's that september and then yeah the plan is to get to get back to the yukon in february and i'm hoping to follow that up with another with another race up in the uh up in swedish lapland in the arctic as well in uh in march well brilliant and just out of curiosity kevin i mean what type of mileage are you doing training wise to prepare for all these and i suppose with trail running it's probably wrong to say mileage because, you know, we're, we're climbing and we're descending. So mileage is kind of out the window. So maybe I might ask the question a different way. How many hours a week, Kevin, yeah. are you training? Um, I, suppose, I suppose, um, do you know, I suppose 
average come average average would be 12 to 15 kind of thing and then coming up to your your peak weeks closer to the event you'd probably get up to 20 um and you know i suppose with these with these yukon races a lot of it is you know with these three four five hundred kilometer races a lot of it's more of a more of a trek up in the yukon you're trekking with your sled so you're not pounding the roads you're you're on long treks with a backpack or maybe a set of ankle weight or something like that or or sometimes i train with a with a tire as well just to get used to that that movement of pulling the sled um but yeah so i'd say you know between between 10 and 15 hours not normal enough week and then uh, probably close to getting up to 20 then on the peak weeks and that's that's with two two good long treks in you know yeah i mean you're talking near, nearly a full-time job kevin really because when you add in your recovery your stretching your you know nutrition physio you could easily get to 20 plus hours a week nearly so um it, yeah. it's a real passion isn't it a real dedication to your craft yeah 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 and you know then you're yeah, your mind's always on it with diet and everything, everything else. You know, with these with these international races and these cold races, there's a, there's a lot of prep needs to go into them as well with getting getting your food. It's all about dehydrated food. It's not going to freeze, and there's there's a lot to think about. But uh, look, I love it. I wouldn't be doing it if I didn't love it. So it's um it's all worth it, you know. For yourself, Joe, what's up next? Uh, I suppose uh, carry away. Uh, definitely something in start of September, probably to carry away and. Uh, there's talks then of doing the world championships in uh, adventure racing in Spain uh, start of October. So uh, hopefully go with Noel O'Leary and the gang from there for that. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. I suppose that's it really. Um, in January, then I have the spine challenger. So that should go ahead as well. That'll be, yeah. yeah, I'd like to get over there and do a bit of a recce as well. Just to, yeah, just don't want to have the hassle of, seeing it all new for the first time in the middle of shit winter in England. And guys, for, for people that are listening in, and maybe this uh, can be the final question for today, the two years got through an incredible challenge there a couple of weeks ago, but the first people to do it for, you know, the up and coming trail runners across the country that are, that are new to the sport or even the more experienced runners. Um, what, what one kind of tip would you maybe pass on to, to help people get through races as we get back out racing over the next couple of weeks with the likes of Kerryway Ultra and all the other races that we mentioned earlier, all the fantastic races that are down in Kerry and the different runs that you can do the fastest known times for the Ancient Warriors Trail, Waterville, the Reeks, Glenagenti and so on. What tip each guys would you say in terms of being the, the best trail runner that you can be? Jesus, I'm thinking hard, man. There's <laughs> yeah. uh, the one tip, like, Jesus, there's the hundreds. Um, mind your feet. I mean, definitely, is it? I see a lot of people don't mind their feet. Um, definitely mind your feet. Yeah. And Do you mean during the race itself or? or during, no, well, obviously beforehand as well, but during um, any route or any long race, especially, actually, especially if you're doing the Iverhead Traverse. Um, there's a shitload of bog there no matter even the driest day of the year there's going to be a fantastic amount of bog and it's pure stagnant stuff as well so um, I think it's often overlooked yeah, but just be prepared to have wet feet for 24 hours okay um, and yourself Kevin yourself? Um, yeah it's a tough one I suppose there's loads of things but I suppose I suppose just like a, a, a awareness that it's kind of you know you're going you're going to have negative times and um just being aware aware of your thoughts and stuff like that and then pushing on through you know as ultra runners every race we have does a negative time and and um just kind of just coming up with some some positives that'll, that'll get you through kind of thing and fo- not not to focus on the negatives when they come in just focus on moving forward keep keep moving forward and uh it's always darkest before the dawn just keep going and, and you'll get to the finish line and i think uh, there's a couple of songs about that actually you could learn them off and sing them yeah. and guys what i might throw in from just looking from afar and I think one of the key reasons for the success of what you guys did was the community, isn't it? Embrace the, the community, embrace the trail running community. And I could see it from following it on the videos on social media and from the reports that were coming in that 
there was a great sense of community around the challenge that you did. And we see it, of course, in all trail running races and events, but um, especially down in Kerry at the moment, it's great to see. And in all parts of the country, I think we, the three of us would say to everybody to, to always to reach out, to, to go for runs with people, to, to connect and, uh, and to enjoy the trails together. Yeah, oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Join, join your local club and uh, get out with people and they'll, they'll show you the fantastic scenery and landscape of Kerry and further afield and uh, you'll be smitten for life. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, guys, thanks a million for, for sharing that experience. Um, I'm sure that there's so much more that we could have got into and apologies if anybody was looking for more detail, but um, Kevin, we'll wait for the film, will we? We'll look forward to seeing the documentary when that's ready, where we'll get all the gory details when everything is revealed, I'm sure, that wasn't told today. But guys, a big thank you and the very best of luck with your racing and with your adventures over the coming months. Thank, thank you, you Take care. And that's a wrap for this week, everyone. We hope you enjoyed the chat with the lads. And it sounds like Kerry is a great place to be for some trail running this summer. One final ask to check out our Patreon page, if you can, guys, over on patreon.com. Just you can look us up under Trail Running Ireland podcast. We will never put up paywalls for our content. And our aim is to grow the sport of trail and mountain running in Ireland in a fun and free way for our listeners. Thank you, as always, for your support. Thank you for listening in. Good luck with your training racing and everybody get your running gear on let's go